You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Peace be with you. My name is Timothy Paul Jones. I'm one of your pastors here, and it's a joy to be here with you today. It is a joy to see a full room with so many faces in it. Uh, This is a beautiful thing to see and to hear your voices today. Well, if you start thinking about certain Disney animated features, if you start thinking about that, which a lot of you want to think about, clearly, if you start thinking about that, they're actually a little more disturbing than you probably think they are. Now, I'll go with two of my favorites. So my two favorites are Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. Beauty and the Beast came out right before my wife and I started dating, and Lion King came out the week we got married. So kind of those are the two big ones for me. Beauty and the Beast is terrible relationship advice, okay? Can we just recognize this? He captures her. He captivates her. He holds her hostage, and during that, she falls in love with him. This is terrible. This is really bad. If you come to me for premarital counseling and that is your story, I am not calling the wedding planner. I'm calling the police. Okay? <laughs> this is not the way you do things. This is terrible. But the other one is Lion King. Now, Lion King is a lot better, but still, even with that, have you ever really thought about that opening beautiful song, beautiful scenery? All those things are amazing, but that song, The Circle of Life, it sounds inspiring. It really does. But let's think about for a moment what it says. It says, from the day we arrive on the planet, there's more to do than it can ever be done. Thank you. Thank you. I'll never get to the end of my to-do list, clearly, if this song is true. There's more to do that can never be done. In the end, according to the song, you find your place on the path unwinding, which as the movie progresses, you realize means you die and somebody else takes your place. 
This is not encouraging. There's no encouragement right here. The Lion King circle of life, it's all about you live, you try, you die, you never get to the end of your to-do list, and then somebody else takes your place. Thank you. I think I'll go have myself my midlife crisis now, okay? It's not, it's not a great and encouraging thing. But I want us to think about that because that one connects with the text that we're looking at today. This idea of the circle of life is that all that it offers, all that life offers is this circle of life in which you do, you try, you die, and somebody else takes your place. Here's the fact that none of us really wants that. We may even sing it with Elton John in Circle of Life, but the truth is none of us actually wants that. We want there to be more to life We want there to be more meaning than simply you do, you try, you die, and somebody takes your place. We all want more, don't we? We don't want the circle of life. We want something outside and beyond the circle of life. Every human soul aches for more, but no matter who we are, there are moments when we wander deep inside. What if the circle of life is really all there is? What if this is it? What if this life is all that there is? What if there is nothing more than the circle of life? And that is the question that the book of Ecclesiastes is willing to face. What would it be like? What would life be like if the circle of life happened to be all there is? And I love this book. I love it because it reveals to us that God is not afraid of the hard questions. Not only is God not afraid of the hard questions, he is willing to weave the hard questions into his very word. What would really matter if the circle of life is all there is? This does make Ecclesiastes a difficult and kind of weird book. Can we just honest be honest about that? That it's kind of a strange book. It's got some strange verses. Chapter 11, verse 3, for example, it gives this great bit of wisdom. Whether a tree falls to the north or the south, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Okay, thank you, Captain Obvious, right there. I mean, this is the type of things you get in the book sometimes. And then one of my favorites is in chapter 9. It just comes out and suddenly says in chapter 9 and verse 8, Wear nice clothes with a splash of cologne, okay? Or if you take it even more literally, wear white clothes and pour oil on your head. Now, the truth is some of you actually need that, okay? You really need this advice, but did it really need to be in the Bible? I'm not sure, but what happens in all of this is that it's wrestling with if under the sun is all there is, what meaning is there? What is it that really matters? And the result of this book is that it's the only book of the Bible that reads like it was written on a Monday morning. (laughs) When you're laying there just wondering, is it really worth getting up to go to work today? (laughs) Because is there anything I do that really even matters? Is it worth it to get up and go to work today? And the answer that the book gives us is yes, it all does matter, but not for the reasons you may assume that it does. Here's why it all matters. It all matters because everything good under the sun was designed by God to point beyond the sun. Hear that because that is the central message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Every good gift under the sun has been divinely designed to aim our desires 
beyond the sun. That's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. There are two key images in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've talked about them a little bit already, but I want to dig a little bit into them to remind you of them in case you're, you're just now tuning in to what we're doing. The two key images in the book are havel or vapor, sometimes translated vanity or meaninglessness in the book, havel, and the other key image is under the sun, under the sun. Those are the two key images that weave together in this book to make the points that the author's making. First off, this notion of havel. This notion of vapor, this notion of smoke, I often, when I think of Havel, this notion here, I think of if you were to go to the Appalachian Mountains and you were to see on the mountains in the morning, you were to see the fog on top of the mountains and you decided, you know what I'm going to do as part of my vacation? I'm going to get a jar and I'm going to go up to the top of one of those mountains and I'm going to capture some of that fog and I'm going to take it home with me. But you realize that you can't really do that. And by the time you get there to do that, it will already be gone. You're chasing the wind. You're chasing the fog. And it's it's letting us know that if life under the sun is all there is, then everything is fog. Everything's going to hell if we have only life under the sun. And that brings us to that second phrase, under the sun. Every time you see the phrase under the sun, it occurs 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And every time you see that phrase under the sun, what the author is raising is this idea is that what if the circle of life is all there is? What if that's all there is? And last week, Pastor Jamal took us through verses, the, the first part of this chapter, and talked about how wealth and work are good gifts, but they cannot satisfy our souls. And this week, we step from that into something that builds on that. And what builds on that is that the author begins to point out that there is no point in work and wealth if you have no one to share it with. If you have no one to share it with, there is no point in work or in wealth if you have no one to enjoy it with. And he opens the door to this discussion of relationships and friendships. And so what we're going to do first is take a look at three different things he tells us about relationships and about friendships. We see one of them first in verse 9, where it says, two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. What he's trying to get at there, I think, is that friendships multiply the joy of your successes. Friendships multiply the joy of your successes. If you have people that you can share those joys with in life, it multiplies them, makes them greater. Have you ever noticed that when you get really good news, every time you share that good news, it gets gooder, doesn't it? It just gets better and better every time you share it. In the sharing, it actually multiplies in its joy. There's a wonder and a beauty in friendship because friendships help us to multiply the joy of our successes. But then we go on and we see something in verse 11 where it says, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? Now, this sounds a little bit weird because what it sounds like he's saying is, if you have a friend, you have somebody to spoon with. I mean, that's kind of how it sounds. It's just kind of weird uh, at that point. But, but what he's trying to get at there is, is less like that And it's a lot more like if you remember the movie Forrest Gump. If you remember Forrest Gump, Bubba and Forrest, they are out on the battlefield and they put their backs against each other to be able to rest 
in the middle of a war zone. And that's more like what it's getting at right here. That in times that, that you're, you're threatened, in times of fear, that you have somebody to be there with. I think it's metaphorically for us to help us to see that friendships lessen the burden of our sorrows. Friendships and relationships, they ease the burden of our sorrows. They do. They really do. I remember about 20 years ago that my wife and I went through just a, a really difficult time in which we wanted children, couldn't have children biologically, and a lot of things went wrong in trying to adopt and in trying to, to work through the issues to do that. And I remember this most of all as I look back. I remember that at that time I was a pastor, I was serving in a church, I was leading a church, but I had no one that was close enough to me to share what we were going through. And because of that, it just about tore us apart. It just about ripped us completely apart because we went through the first year or two of that completely alone. We were the only ones that knew what was going on and that just about tore us apart. Now, as I think about that, I look back and I can look back over the past couple of years. I look back, so the past couple of years have probably been the worst and hardest years of our lives since that 20 years ago. Some of the things that have happened have been public, a lot of people know. Some of them, only a few people know. But I can tell you this, that having, which we did this time, people that were close enough to us that we could say this is what's going on in our lives right now made all the difference in the world, made all the difference in the world to say, I have somebody who knows this because if you share it, it's easier to bear it. Just always remember that. When we share it, it is easier to bear it. And just wrestle through with that and recognize that. And I don't just mean share it in some general sense. I mean share it with people who authentically know you and who care about you. Yes, I think one of the problems we have today with social media, which I'm not saying it's necessarily bad in and of itself that we share things on, on social media, but the problem is, is we have a tendency to craft what we share to gain the most likes for our joys and the most sympathy for our sorrows. And here's the result. Everybody knows our sorrows, but nobody knows us. And that's where we're at now. We're at a point where in our lives we share so many things in such public ways that everybody knows our joys and our sorrows, but nobody really knows us. Not every joy and sorrow you face needs to be an Instagram post. What I want to encourage you to as you think about this is to go deep into relationship with people who can not merely know your joys and sorrows, but who know you, who know you and who love and who care about you. And building on this, we can go to verses 10 and 12 in this text, where it speaks there in verses 10 and 12. If either one falls, the companion can lift him up. Pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. And then in verse 12, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And the truth we see in those, in those verses there is that friends and friendships and relationships are a fight for the survival 
of your soul. You need people to fight for you. You need people who fight for the survival of your soul. You need that. And what it says here is if you have one person like that, that's great. If you have two people like that, that's even better. It's a three-stranded cord that is not easily broken, is what it has to say to us. We need people who are different from us. We need people who are different from one another. The more people we bring into our lives that we know deeply and who can be that strands of accord with us, the stronger we can be in our obedience to Christ. We need those kinds of people. Now, here's what's fascinating in this particular text. Something different, something unique in this discussion of relationships and friendships. What's unique and different about that in this book is that everything else in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, when he gets to the end of it, when the author gets to the end of it, he says, ultimately, it's all hevel, it's all vapor, it's all meaningless. But when he gets to the end of this discussion of friendships and relationships, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say that it's all emptiness. He doesn't say that it's all vapor. He does not say that about this. And so it makes you wonder, could it be? Could it be the friendship relationships is what makes life worth living under the sun? But what we see as we look at the book as a whole is that even friendships, which are clearly good, even relationships, which are clearly good, are not foolproof. They're not foolproof. If we were to look at the very next verse in verse 13, we find something that can happen with relationships. It speaks of an old but foolish king who no longer listens to warnings. One of the things that can derail friendships and relationships is somebody just doesn't listen anymore to those around them. And we see that the problem isn't with friendships. The problem isn't with relationships. The problem is with us. The problem is with us. We can also see if we were to look in chapter 3 and verse 20, the simple fact that all are going to the same place, it says we're going to die. And it's a reminder that even the best relationships, the best friendships under the sun are temporary. And they are tainted by the fact that they can be lost. It's not a problem with friendships. It's not a problem with relationships. It's a problem with, with us. It's a problem with us. Friendships are always in this life, that are just in this life, are always temporary. You've had those, haven't you? Whereas the relationship you thought was the ultimate relationship that was never going to fall apart, and the person moves, and in a matter of months or even weeks, the friendship withers away. Of somebody who faces something that, that, and they, they pull away from you, or they find someone else. Friendships, even though they're good, are tainted in this life. And so how should we view friendships and relationships if even they can't ultimately satisfy us under the sun? Well, one of the things we have to do first is to look at why friendships are good to begin with. Why is it that friendships are good to begin with? And what we often forget is the reason that relationships are good to begin with is because God is within him own, his own self a relationship. See, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God for all eternity has been in friendship, has been in relationship for all eternity. That is God's very nature, is a relational God. You see, anything good that you have in your friendships or in your relationships is because it's borrowed, we might say, from the goodness of who God is. Even the person who rejects God, even the person who doesn't believe in God, even that person, all the good in their relationships is borrowed from the nature of who God is. Because God is Father, Son, and Spirit, a relationship within his own self. And every good gift under the sun, including relationships, was designed to point us beyond the Son, to who God is. And what Ecclesiastes is doing, the point of Ecclesiastes is to bring us to a point of despair. And you may look at Ecclesiastes and you're like, good job, Ecclesiastes, because I read it and I feel pretty despairing. (laughs) Good job, Ecclesiastes. I read it and I feel despair. But there is a despair that gives birth to hope. And that's what this is supposed to be. Because you see, this is reminding us that we cannot find ultimate satisfaction in our relationships in this life. And it's so tempting because relationships and friendships are so good. They're so good that it is so tempting to try to find our ultimate meaning in a friendship, in a marriage, in our children, whoever it may be. And to think, I could be happy and satisfied under the sun if only I had this relationship. If only this could happen in my life. If only I had this relationship, I could be happy and satisfied under the sun. And we forget that everything under the sun that's good is meant to direct our desires beyond the sun. C.S. Lewis, in writing about literature and music, spoke these words that are even more true of relationships. He said, these things are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing in itself. They are only the scent of a flower. We have not found the echo of a tune. We have not heard news from a country we have never yet visited. That's what our relationships are. They're meant to point us toward a reality that we have never yet fully experienced. Every relationship is meant to do that. They're meant to point us beyond the circle of life. And if you demand of a relationship that it provides you with your ultimate meaning, with your ultimate satisfaction, it is being turned into an idol and it will destroy us. And we will destroy the relationship as we try to seek ultimate satisfaction in it. So I want to ask, how can you know if you are seeking your ultimate satisfaction in something that can't provide it, in a relationship that can't provide it? I want to put up a couple of questions for you just to think about. If... There's a relationship that if you look at that and you say, if I lost this relationship, life wouldn't be worth living. You're expecting that relationship to provide more than it was ever designed 
to provide. If you look at experiences that you're having right now or that you desire for the future, and if you say, if I don't get this experience, I don't know if I even want to go on with life, you're putting that at a level that you're trying to find your ultimate satisfaction in that. And I think most of us, if we're honest, as we thought about those two questions, we can fill in those blanks pretty quickly, if we're honest. We can fill those in pretty quickly. See, there are things in my life that I am expecting to provide me with ultimate satisfaction that were never designed to do that. And notice, relationships aren't bad. They're good gifts, but they were never meant to be God's. And if we don't dethrone those, it will either destroy the relationship or destroy us or both. Friendships, relationships are wonderful gifts, but they make terrible gods. They are wonderful gifts, but they are terrible gods. And this is hard. This is hard because it's such a good thing. And it's a reminder of how deeply we need Jesus and the gospel. How deeply we need that. Because you see, Ecclesiastes is only even meant to be the first part of a story that is a much bigger story. Every part of the Old Testament is intended to be simply the first part of a story for which Jesus is the ultimate answer and the ultimate fulfillment. Because in Jesus, let's think of him in light of Ecclesiastes. What happens in Jesus is that someone from beyond the sun enters into life under the sun. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. The one from beyond the sun came under the sun and he lived a life that was rich with friendship. One of the things that is so beautiful in the Gospels is how Jesus was never rushed. He took time for people and yet he took time for his own soul as well. He loved and received people and their friendships as gifts, but he never treated them as gods. We see in him one who lived relationships perfectly, perfectly. And on the night he was betrayed, the three-stranded cord of his friendships, Peter, James, and John, they abandoned him. They abandoned him. They left him. Jesus knows what it is like if you are alone and feel friendless. Jesus knows what that is like. He knows what we feel like. And his enemies saw his life as Havel, as a vapor that was meaningless. And they mocked him and they crucified him in our place. He takes the punishment that we deserve for all of the ways that we have tried to find satisfaction in things other than him. And he takes that upon himself in our place and he is buried under the sun in a tomb that is cold and dark until that third day under the sun. And on the third day, a power from beyond the sun entered into that tomb and a spike-torn wrist began to twitch and a blood-crusted fist began to uncurl and eyes that were cold and dead opened wide and he checked out of the tomb alive and well because of a power beyond the sun. And by him doing that, He provides us with an opportunity for a friendship from beyond the sun that will never fail anyone who trusts 
in him. That's what he provides. And that's how he fulfills the book of Ecclesiastes. Hear this. The ultimate point in God's design for Ecclesiastes is not to tell us that our lives are empty. It is to point us to the one whose tomb is empty. That's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. And because the tomb is empty, our lives under the sun can be full. Because everything good that we have under the sun points us beyond the sun to the one who reigns forever. And hear this. This is some of the best news for our lives right now. Is that that same power from beyond the sun that reached into the tomb of Jesus is still reaching today. It's still reaching. Have you ever had a moment when you recognize that a power from beyond the sun reached out and touched your life? Have you ever had that? You were in darkness and you were in despair and everything in you wanted to pull the trigger or take the pills, and there was a memory within you, something awakened that you you realized there was something better, something more. That's a power from beyond the sun. You thought the marriage was over. There was no way of getting out of it at this point. There was no way of doing anything about it. There was then a text message or a telephone call. And then something else, that it spoke to you in a way that was beyond the sun. There was a lie you had told for so long. You had covered it up for so long. Nobody around you knew about it. And suddenly you found yourself confessing what you'd done, what you were still doing. And you realized that was a power from beyond the sun. It's a power from beyond the sun. You messed up so badly. You've done the unimaginable. And somebody forgave and somebody loved. And that was a power from beyond the sun. You had power from beyond the sun. <laughs> Touch your life. That same power. Isn't, and it comes in different ways at different times and in different places. And it doesn't always look and turn out the way we wanted or expected, but there is power from beyond the sun that is still reaching us through Christ today. There still is. So what do we do with all this? How do we deal with all that we see in in this about relationships and friendships? How How do we deal with this? Number one, rejoice in the gift of one another. I just want to remind us of that. Do you know what? It is good and it glorifies God just to have a good time and be silly and have fun with one another. You realize you glorify God by that. You glorify God just by having a great time. And you are pointing to the beauty and the glory and the relationship of the Trinity when you are just having a good time together. Sometimes we feel like that's an unholy thing, just to rejoice in time together with friends. Sometimes that's the holiest thing you can do for your soul, is just to put everything on hold and just have fun. It glorifies God. Rejoice in the gift of one another. God's greatest gift is that he joins us by his spirit with Jesus Christ. 
But God's second greatest gift is the gift of one another. And yet, if you look at statistics, 60% of American adults are lonely. They say, I'm lonely. I think it's important for us to recognize six out of 10 American adults say, I am lonely. And we in the church should be the people and the place where we have relationships, where people don't feel that way. But that's not where people are at. What do we do about that? Especially coming out of the pandemic, man, a lot of people have struggled with a lot of things coming out of the pandemic, haven't we? We really have. And I think there's about three different types of people coming out of the pandemic. One of them is there are some of you that you are jumping with both feet back into relationships. You're like, yes, I'm jumping back in. You're just, that's you. You scare me a little bit, but I'm glad for you. I really am. I'm thankful, thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you. If that's you, that's the type of person God has made you and praise God for that. Praise him for that. Praise God for that. Recognize there are people around you who are lonely and invite them in to your life. Do that. It may be, on the other hand, you're somebody who is lonely. And if that's you, say so. I don't know, it's hard. It's really, really, really hard to say that. But say so. And it doesn't mean things are going to change instantly or that anything's going to unfold immediately. But over time, let people know. Say, I just need some people in my life. I really need some people in my life. I'm lonely. Say so. There's also some of us who are what I would call comfortably isolated. <laughs> Let's just kind of get real and honest right here. Some of us, we kind of, in a pandemic time, that let us put up some barriers and walls that we don't have to deal with people as much. And we're kind of okay with that. <laughs> and we kind of like to leave the barriers there that separate us. God didn't call us to live that way. Start taking the barriers down. Start inviting some people over. Start engaging with people again. Start looking for ways to love one another and live in relationships with one another. Start chasing and cherishing community again, wherever you fall into in those categories. Secondly, don't demand more from relationships than what they're meant to provide. Don't demand more from your relationships than God designed them to do. I want you to think of what is it I really expect from my closest friends, my marriage, my children, my roommate, and ask yourself, are there areas and ways where I am expecting them to provide ultimate fulfillment for me? What do you expect of your kids? What do you expect of your spouse? What are you expecting of your friends? Are there areas and ways you're demanding or expecting them to give you ultimate fulfillment? And if so, recognize they were never designed to do that. <laughs> if you use something in a way it wasn't designed to be used, you're going to cause some problems. A few months ago, 
we needed to put up in our bathroom, one of our bathrooms, this toilet paper roll holder. I did not want to go buy the bit for a ceramic tile. So I made a really good decision. I decided I'm gonna use carpentry, wood, wood bits. The bits that you're supposed to use for wood, I was gonna use that, and I thought if I push really hard and lean into it, then I can drill a hole through the ceramic tile with a carpentry bit. I burned through four bits, cracked a tile, and let's just say I was not having my Christian of the Year Award moment in the area of sanctification in that moment. <laughs> let's, somebody in our household that has a lot more wisdom than me said, I am going to Home Depot and getting the right bit. So she did. And when she did, she brought back this ceramic tile bit. And when she did, it took me 15 minutes to do the job. That I'd burned through four bits and broken a tile in the midst of. What was happening in that? I was trying to make something do what it was never designed to do. And you know what? When we try to make relationships do what they weren't designed to do, to provide our ultimate fulfillment, we burn through things and we make messes. Just like I made a mess. We do. That's what we do when we try to make relationships do what they were never built to do. And last of all, remember and cherish those moments from beyond the sun. (laughs) Our faith isn't built on our own personal experiences, but our experiences matter. And when you face those times that you wonder, what if under the sun is all there is? What if under the sun is all there is? There's nothing else. It's just under the sun and nothing else. Does anything really even matter? When you get to those moments, I want to encourage you to do something. Make a list of the times that God has reached you from beyond the sun. Start making a list. And list those moments, those times, those places when God has touched you from beyond the sun and recognize that though you may not see him there, he is still there. He is there. And you may say, I don't know if it was God or not. I don't know. Maybe it was just coincidence. I don't know if it was God. And if you're saying that, I want to point you to one of my favorite texts in Scripture. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. (laughs) If it is a good and perfect gift that pointed you to Jesus, then you know where it came from. (laughs) It came from beyond the sun. Every good and perfect gift comes from beyond the sun. Remember that. Remember that. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. Remember the times that God reached to you from beyond the sun. Remember it. Remember that. Rejoice in those. Rejoice in that. The despair of Ecclesiastes, it has a purpose, and the purpose is simple, to drive us into the arms of Jesus the friend from beyond the sun who never, ever fails us. That's the purpose of Ecclesiastes. The cross and the empty tomb are our reminder that the circle of life does not have the final word, 
the Lord of life does. The circle of life never has the final word. In this life, it feels like sometimes the circle of life, of you try, you die, and somebody replaces you, and it just doesn't seem like it has meaning. It feels sometimes like the circle of life has the final word. Like under the sun speaks a louder word than beyond the sun. But ultimately, ultimately, the cross and the empty tomb are our reminders that it is the Lord of life who has the final word. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.